of God, He's here. And I, I forbid the enemy to have any stronghold over your life. I forbid the enemy. I bind the enemy for keeping you in that place. I proclaim liberty. I proclaim liberty. I proclaim justice. I proclaim freedom tonight. Come on, somebody. You got to remember. Remember, we can't forget where God took us out of. Sometimes you got to get down on the knees and start thinking about, man, I was rejected. I wasn't anything. Sometimes we got to break before God and really think about where he saved us from, what he took us out of. And I just, you know, man, Stellan, I'm so blessed to have my husband. You can take your seats. But you know what? I'm so blessed because I think of my past. I think how so opposite I was in the world. You see me now, I'm holy and I'm, you know, I'm cool. But in the world, I was totally opposite. I had no dignity. I had no self-respect. I had no integrity. I was a liar. I was a thief. You know, I was always conniving, looking for things. To, what, what could I get out of the situation? And I just think like, man, God, you saved me. And I remember when my husband came into my life. And I just thought, man, what does he and I have? What do we have in common? You know, he's this PK. The only thing that he came from was from the pews. I came from the streets. You know, I was hanging out doing my thing, and I just thought, God, you know, what could, what could him and I have in common? And, you know, the, thing, the, the work of God is so miraculous. He's so amazing. He's just so infinite. He's a genius. He's genius. He's brilliant in the way that he is. And I just thank God that he brought somebody so great in my life. Like, and I don't speak, oh, all this stuff about my husband because I'm supposed to as a wife. No, I mean it with all integrity, with all honesty. Everything that my husband preaches and, you know, he shares over this pulpit. And even as he's out there in the streets, he lives it. He, if there's anybody that knows how to put me in my place, it's him. Not because he's the man and you better submit woman, but no. He's a man of substance. He lives what he preaches day in and day out. And so I just thank God that he took a nobody like me, straight alky. You guys know the word alky? I was an alky, but Jesus set me free. And I thank God that he placed me with somebody like my husband because, you know, only God could have done that. I, was, I would have never been with somebody like him. Never. Totally opposite. I would have been with somebody from like the men's home or something in the world. You know? But God does the transformation. God does the transformation, and I thank God for him. And I don't mean men's home right now. I mean when you were out there in the world. So you're a new creation too. We're all new creations in Christ. Amen. So tonight, you know, my husband was envisioning us already about evangelism, about going to reach the world and, you know, Asia and South Africa, Pretoria and Asian invasion. And we're a ministry that is so full of vision that this ministry will never perish because we have the vision, because we have a global calling upon our ministry. And so I just want to pray really quick before we open up in the scriptures, and um, let's just bow our head and close our eyes, amen. Lord, we just come before you, Jesus, and we love you. We love you so much, God. I pray that gratitude would continue just to flow through our lives, God, and that, Lord, we would be that light that you've called us to be. We pray tonight that you would have your way, speak into our lives, speak conviction, speak truth, speak Holy Ghost power over our life, God, that we may, that we may walk in the power of your calling and your anointing, Lord. We want to be radical, and we want to stand out for you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 4, 18, 
we're just we're going to be going here and there places. But if you want to go to Luke 4:18 really quick. Jesus uh, rescued Pastor Sunny, Sister Julie, Pastor Sunny. For those who don't know who Pastor Sunny Sr. is, he's the founder of Victor Outreach International. He was a heroin addict, drug addict, no good dope fiend. And Christ came into his life, saved him, rescued him, turned his life around. And through this man of God, the ministry of Victor Outreach International was birthed. And so um, with this ministry, we've been here for over almost 50 years now. I believe it's 47 years now. But we're, we're heading towards that 50th mark. And I think that's a powerful testimony of who... Um, our founder, who our leader is, and who and what this ministry is all about. And so when you look into the scripture here of Luke 4.18, um, Jesus is already starting his ministry in Galilee. He's beginning to do the works that God has called him to do. He just came out of the desert being tempted, and now he's got the spirit of God. He's got the authority. He's got the power. You know, he's ready to function in the calling that God has given him. And so here introducing, you know, the scripture and then with this ministry, how many of us have ever heard of the Victor Outreach mission statement? How many of us know what that mission statement is? And if you don't know, that's okay because we're here to envision you. And so I'm going to share with you really quick what Victor Outreach International mission statement says. Amen? It says, Victory Outreach is an international church-oriented Christian ministry called to the task of evangelizing and discipling the hurting people of the world with a message of hope and plan of Jesus Christ. This call, in, this call involves a commitment to plant and develop churches, rehabilitation homes, and training centers in strategic cities of the world. Victory Outreach inspires and instills within people the desire to fulfill their potential life with a sense of dignity. Hello. Dignity. Belonging. And destiny. It's powerful. Victory Outreach works cooperatively with others of mutual purpose and accomplishing the task before us. That is a powerful mission statement. Because with that mission statement, we are fulfilling the call of God in Victory Outreach International and as well locally. Also here, as Victory Outreach International has a mission statement, we take that mission statement personal and locally. But here... Not only do we have a mission statement, but even Jesus Christ had a mission statement. Even he had the calling and he had, okay, guys, this is what I'm supposed to be doing here. And so here in Luke 4.18, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord, this is when Jesus speaks and he opens up his Bible or opens up the word. And he goes to the book and he, find, he finds the place where it is written. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Right? To set, all, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that's powerful. Because even Jesus, our Savior, our God, our Redeemer, our Lord, our Master, our Shepherd... The bishop, the great bishop, he even had a mission statement. He even knew that he had a purpose here on this earth, and he was here to accomplish that, that mission. And so here, he, when he talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to the, preach the gospel to the poor, key word is he has anointed me to preach the gospel. 
And so when you read the scriptures and if you read your Bible, you begin to see the, the radical lifestyle that Jesus Christ lived. He was the ultimate model of what a prayer life was. He was the ultimate model of what a healer was. He was the ultimate model what an evangelist was. He was the ultimate model what a, uh, a discipler was. So Jesus here was our ultimate model, our ultimate example of who we're to follow. He had a purpose, and he had only so many years to fulfill it. Now that we're saved, not only have we been rescued, not only did God, you know, save us from the pit of hell, not only did God take us out and, you know, place us in a, on a new solid ground, not only did God take us and, you know, rescue us from death or whatever the situation was, but he saved us with a purpose. And right now today, you know, we're all here and we're serving God. Not everybody here is like really serving God, and that's okay, because we're pulling you in, we're reeling you in. You know, but once Christ saves us, sometimes we feel like, okay, God, you saved me, that's it. Or some people, you know, other churches and other ministries, you know, they come to church and they're happy and that's it. But the kind of people that we are, we're radical. We're, addic we're addicted kind of people. And so, you know, the ministry that we've been called to, to be, we're not just any kind of ministry in the city, right? We're not just, oh, Father, singing hymns, praise God. Okay, I'm going home, Right? We're a radical ministry that has been anointed by the power of Jesus Christ to reach the nobodies, to reach the impossible cases, to reach the ones that everybody's afraid of. And yet for some crazy reason, we're not. And the reason why is because we were there at one time. Maybe you weren't in the neighborhood. Maybe you weren't shooting up. Maybe you were just crazy. Maybe you're just cray-cray, like they say today. Maybe you're just crazy and God says, you know what? You have the DNA of crazy, so I'm going to put you in Victor Average International. Right? And so as God saves us, not only did he rescue us, but he has given us a purpose. And sometimes we think, well, what is this purpose? And what am I supposed to do? And, you know, I've been evangelizing to this, to this old friend of mine. <clears throat> and I said, you know, God has a calling on your life. You're called. And they're like, well, I don't think I'm called to be behind the pulpit. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. And I had to explain to him, I was like, you know what? The call of God doesn't require the pulpit. The call of God just requires an obedient heart, just requires somebody that says yes and amen. And so here in their mind, they thought that to answer the call of God, you had to stand behind a pulpit and preach. And I had to explain to them that, you know, the call of God doesn't just, you know, require the pulpit. It doesn't require to shout out to everybody and tell them what they're supposed to do. The call of God is a process. The call of God is something that, you know, takes days, seasons, years, months, you know, decades. And if you live long enough, a generation or, you know, um, what do they say, a century. I know people that are 100 years old today. They've lived a century. Isn't that powerful? But, you know, as God has saved us, he's given us a purpose. And what is that purpose? It's so simple. It's so, like, too simple that we can miss it. The Bible says that in Matthew 5.13, you want to turn there really quick? He gave us a mission. Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of that mission statement. And now that Christ has saved us and rescued us, we're going to see what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. In Matthew 5, 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine 
before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So simple, and yet we can miss it. It's too simple sometimes because we're always like trying to make logic, you know, we were trying to always be logical about things. We're always trying to say, well, what is one plus one equals two, right? Or, you know, we're always trying to figure God out. And God's so infinite that God's like, you can't even figure me out. Stop it already. And so here the Bible talks about that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And when you think of light, back in these days, um, the, the Bible days, you know, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have, you know, Wi-Fi. They didn't have all this, these gadgets and, you know, you could pull, you know, plug in something and bam, there goes your computer. They didn't have any of that. So back in those days, in the Bible days, and, you know, they, they had light, but it wasn't the kind of light that we have. We can just boop, flick it on, turn it off, right? Back in those days, they used to use oil for light. But oil was expensive, too. Oil cost money. And to burn your oil, you had to be a good steward of it. To burn that oil and have the light shine, you had to know what time and how long you wanted that light on to preserve it. So that when it was time to turn off the light, you turn it off so that the next day or the next time you want to use it, you still have some available, right? And so the Bible says that we are the light of the world. And it also says that we are the salt of the earth. And so when you think of salt, you automatically think food, right? I think of seasoning my ribs and putting salt in my meat and putting salt in maybe some fries. Doesn't it add some flavor to it, right? Or is it just me? I'm just hungry, I guess. But salt, you know, has many purposes. And back in these days, in the Bible days, it had many purposes. And so I'm going to just share a couple of purposes of what it was and what they, how they used to use it. Salt uh, was used for many things back in the Bible days, including Hebrew worship for their offerings in the temple. It was also used to ratify covenants between each other people. It was also believed by rubbing salt on newborns, it would promote good health. And there's all these scriptures, if you, if you, for all you theologians, it's number 18, 19, 2, Second Chronicles 13, 5, Ezekiel 16, 4, write it down. So if you want to look it up, there it is. It's all in the word of God. Um, also, um, in Roman times, salt was used as an item of trade. And it was even used for money. And for Roman soldiers, it was used as part of their salary. Now, how many of us have a job here? And some of us get paid more than others. And imagine them cutting your salary and saying, here's a grain of salt. Here's a bag of salt for you. What are you going to say? That's not going to pay my cable bill. That's not going to pay for my gas. But back in those days, salt was very valuable. It was something that people valued. Also here, it says that Salt was also used to preserve a body once it was mummified. And it was also used, and it's still to this day, used to preserve food, like meats and red meats and just different kinds of stuff. It's used to preserve um, certain kinds of food. And if you look at the word, uh, excuse me, I'm, you have to be patient with me really quick, quick commercial. I'm on this iPad. I am so horrible with iPads and computers and all that stuff. So I'm trying to, like, do this thing around. I'm trying to be fancy tonight. So be patient, okay? You guys are supposed to laugh right now. Okay. Forget it. Salt is an additive used to protect against decay, discoloration, or spoilage. That's what salt is for. We have to keep preserving the message of God. 
And the same way that God has said that you are the salt of the earth, God called us not only to be flavorful and to stand out, but also to preserve this precious gospel that God has given us. And, you know, Christ, he was the ultimate example. He was radical in every which way you could think of. And, you know, us being Christians, if we're Christians, if we're really saved here, we got the Holy Ghost in us. We've got a radicalness that, that is everlasting, that is infinite, because it comes from the infinite God. And when Christ put his spirit upon us, not only did he save us and sanctify us and anoint us, but he gave us a great commission. He gave us a great purpose to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And with that responsibility, we got to go. And that means we have to go and find somebody and tell them about the good news. Not only do we preach the gospel, but in every generation, there has to be somebody that's told about the gospel. That means that the way that I know Jesus Christ, my kids have to know Jesus Christ the way I do. That means that I have to give them the Bible. I have to give them the word that I can pass it on and transmit it into them so that we don't lose it. So that the word of God doesn't get spoiled. That we don't lose, you know, the, the vision that God has given us. But in every generation, we have to pass it on, pass it on, pass it on so we don't lose it. And that's who God called us to be. We're called not only to be the light, but to be the preservers of the gospel. And to be that preserver, we got to be able to go out and be bold with the gospel and preach the good news and tell somebody, hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus loved you. Jesus has a purpose for you. We have to be able to go out there and preach the gospel and be unashamed and be bold. And whether we offend or not, that's not up to us. It's the spirit of God that's going to work through that. And sometimes when we go out there, I see people, um, you know, I go to the gym because I'm trying to, like, lose all this baby fat. After four kids, you kind of get fat here. And so I've been going to the gym lately, and you guys are supposed to laugh at that. Gosh, I'm not a comedian. Okay, I'll stop. So I've been going to the gym. And, you know, I've been looking at all these people, and you could tell that they're looking for love in all the wrong places. You can tell they're looking at each other, checking each other out. And then you see those other ones that are really, like, focused like me, and we're like, yes. 20 more minutes, all right. And we're like counting the minutes because we're like tired already. And you know, I've been there and I've just been like asking God, like use me here and anoint me to speak to these people because you know, all these people that go there, they're either empty, they're void of something, they're looking for something and they just can't grasp it yet. So what do they do? They go to the gym to figure it out. And so as I'm there, the other day I said, you know what God, I gotta win a soul every day. I gotta minister, either I minister or I win a soul. And so the other night, I went into the bathroom. It was like 10 o'clock because the gym closes at 11. And I saw this, you know, this woman in there. And I was like, oh, God. You know, like, I was, like, praying to myself. And I was like, oh, Jesus, like, give me the words because I don't know what she's going to think about me. And, you know, I'm sweaty right now. She's probably going to think I'm a weirdo coming up to her. You know, but if she goes to hell, it's going to be my fault. You know, and so from the fruit of what she looked like, you know, the way she was acting, I could tell she, she didn't have God. So, you know, I observe people, I watch people, I see if, like, they're cussing or doing things that aren't that godly. So those are the people I try to target. And so I went up to this woman and I said, hey, you know, do you know Jesus? Has anybody ever come to you and told you about the gospel? And she was just, like, looked at me like, oh, my God, like, why are you talking to me? And I was just like, you know what? I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you. And she just looked at me and she was like, well, as a matter of fact, I'm an atheist. So I don't believe in God. And I said, well, you know what? God is real because if God wasn't real, he wouldn't come right now into this bathroom at 10 o'clock at night to tell you how much he loves you. And so I want to tell you that he is real and that he sent me here to tell you that he loves you and that he died for you. But not only that, but that he has a purpose for your life. And then all of a sudden, she began to open up and she's like, well, you know what? 
I'm, I was a Catholic at one time. And I said, oh, you were? Well, let me ask you a question. Well, why are you an atheist now and you're, you were, used to be a Catholic? And she put her head down and she says, well, because of certain things that took place. And then she shut down. And I could tell, okay, this woman has either been, you know, physically abused, maybe, you know, sexually abused. I don't know. But I could tell right away that she shut down. Something happened to her for her to cause her to believe that there is no God. Sometimes when people get hurt in the world or when things take place in their childhood or even in their adulthood, you know, bad things take place. And sometimes we look at God and we're like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And God's like, I don't even have anything to do with it. We forget or the, the world forgets or they don't even realize that there's an enemy out there. And he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And so as this woman was telling me why she was an atheist, she shut down. And I just, I could tell that, you know what, I, I, I hit a, a nerve. And I said, you know what, that's okay. You don't have to tell me. I said, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. That whatever you've been through, God can heal you. God can restore you. God still has a plan for you. And that whatever happened, you know what, God is there for you. And I said, there's going to be one day that you're going to bow down. You're going to have to call out to God and you're going to need him. And when you cry out to God, God's going to hear your prayer because that's how much he loves you. He hears the prayers of the repentful. And she just looked at me and was kind of like, oh, my God, like, why is she talking to me still? And I was just like, you know what? If you ever need anything, I'm here at the gym. You can talk to me. And she was just like, okay, whatever, and walked away. And so, you know, I started praying in my spirit for her. And I said, God, whatever that purpose was right now, let it be a seed in her heart. Let it be a remembrance of your goodness and your kindness and your love and your forgiveness. And so I haven't seen her since, but, um, you know, I'm praying for her. I'm praying for her because when I look at these people at the gym, you know, I see souls. And not only do I see souls, but I see souls either going to heaven or to hell. And sometimes, you know, when we're out evangelizing or, or us being Christians, sometimes we kind of get complacent or we lose that passion or we lose that fire. We lose that gratitude. We lose that sense of purpose. And then we become stale. And as we become stale to the things of God, we become stale to the people of God. We become stale to the lost sheep that God is trying to call out and reach back into the church. And so, you know, as God has called us, we just, we can't be afraid. We can't be afraid to preach. We can't be afraid to get in trouble for preaching. We can't be afraid of people's faces. But we have to be able to know that God has given us an anointing, an authority that comes from only from him to go preach the gospel. Um, you know, there's a couple of scriptures um, that talks about weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And in Ma it's all in Matthews, Matthews 25, 30, 8, 12, 24, 5, 13, 13, 42. And it describes hell. And these are just a few scriptures. And so when I think of these people, I think of hell. And then I think of these scriptures about what hell is like. Has anybody in this room ever stubbed your toe? And you're like, ah, right? Or is that just me? Or has anybody, like, punched you in your face and you're like, ah, that hurt, right? Somebody punched me in my face, and it was a guy. It really hurt. I was in the world, not in, not in here. Savon didn't do it. Trust me. <laughs> and so, you know, have you ever been, you know, like, somebody has physically done something to you and it really hurt? Or just when you stub your toe, you're like, oh, God, that hurt. Oh, God, oh. Right? And your mouth is like, Right? Oh. Or you're weeping and you're mourning and you're like, oh, God, oh, it hurts so much. The Bible describes hell like that. 
that it's weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And here on this earth, our pain is just temporary. It's small. It's like you get a bruise, you break your leg, okay, a couple weeks, your pain is a little bit longer than mine. But the pain will end. But it talks about that after we die, you either go to two places, heaven or hell. Simple. That's it. There's no, you know, Buddha and Allah. There's no seven virgins. There's no reincarnation. You're not going to be a cow in the next life. There's none of that. It's either heaven or hell. And so that means that how we live our life here today will predict how, we, how we're going to live our, the rest of our entire being after we die. It's going to predict that. But when I think of that, I think, oh, my God. That means that the pain that I feel, how, how many of us have ever mourned so much that it was like a tearing effect in your soul? I've had that moment. I've had those moments. Or when you, like again, when I said when you stubbed your toe or somebody physically beat you or hurt you, there was a, there was a pain there. Well, the Bible describes hell as being that, that it's weeping and gnashing of the teeth. It also explains that it's dark. How many of us like to be in dark places? I don't. I don't even like it when it's dark in my house, especially when there's spiritual warfare taking place. Because then I have to pray and I have to fight against my enemy. That's, not, that's nothing lightly. You don't take those things lightly. The Bible also talks about it's, uh, and it's an outside place. It's outside meaning that the saints aren't there. It's only for those who rejected Christ. You're outside. Ever been outside and it's freezing cold and you want to go inside and everybody's warm and happy, but you're outside in the cold? It also says that it's a blazing furnace. How many of us have fireplaces in our house? And if you put your hand in the fire, you're like, oh, my God, that hurt, right? Or you ever burnt your hand on the stove, and you're like, oh, my God, and then you get a boil, right? And then it blows up, and then you have to wait to pop it, and then all this, like, juice comes out of it, right? Because of the heat. And we're laughing at it because I'm describing it. You're relating, understanding right now. That's good. But that's what the Bible talks about. It describes hell in those ways. And when I think of hell, I think, God, I don't want to be there. It's a place of torment. It's a place where Satan and his demons are supposed to be. Hell was never meant for the human race to go to. But because of man's rebellious ways and because of his disobedience, and even for those who know the gospel and reject it, where do you think they're going to go? My friend says, well, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. I say, there's more, it takes more to just be a believer. You could be a believer and still be a fornicator. You could be a believer and still get high. You could be a believer and still be out there sinning and doing things that you shouldn't be, and you think you're going to go to heaven? No. And so when I think of these things, I think, God, if I don't minister to the soul right now, if I don't minister to this young woman right now, if I don't tell this guy right now that Jesus Christ loves him, what if he drives down the street? What if they get hit by a car? What if there's a drive-by shooting? What if somebody just randomly comes up to them and just stabs them? What if just suddenly he has a heart attack? What if just randomly, he, he, you know, they go brain dead? There are so many situations that will never allow us to know that just happen all of a sudden. There are so many times that people are just walking down the street and all of a sudden they begin to, you know, you know, uh, Grab their chest, and there's a pain there, and there's a heart attack that takes place. There are, there are people, I know a man that was on vacation, uh, this millionaire guy, and he's taking his wife on a, a trip to Europe, to Spain. And at the airport, he began to have a stroke. And within that stroke, you know, I was only like 
13 years old. But I remember that they told me that he had a stroke. And all of a sudden, you know, he went into convulsions. And with those convulsions, they took him to the ER. And guess what happened to him after that? They took a chunk of his brain out. And this man was a smart man. He was a lawyer. But he, not only was he just a lawyer, he owned the firm. And so this man was like a millionaire. And I remember seeing his head and how it looked like a bull. Like literally, you, like somebody took a bull and scooped his brain out. And I remember seeing him there. And I just thought, oh, my God. And it was devastating because I knew this man. He was a family friend. But I think that when the Bible says that tomorrow's not promised to anybody, Tomorrow's not promised. Today's the day of salvation. When the word of God says it, it's true. That we could walk down the street and we could die. But because we know Jesus, you know, we, we're going to, hopefully all of us are going to make it. I want to make it. But there are still souls out there. There are still sinners out there. There are still, you know, child molesters out there. There are still murderers out there. There are still drug addicts out there. There are still prostitutes out there. There are still sinners out there that don't know the gospel truth. And unless they hear the gospel from one of us, unless we're bold enough to tell them about the cross, unless we're bold and anointed to preach his gospel, where will they go? Where will they go? When we lay down and we lay on our beds and we rest and we thank God for our salvation and we lay down and we thank God for saving us, did we forget to reach that soul? Did we forget to go out there and tell somebody that Jesus Christ loves you? Did we go out there? With the conviction of the Holy Spirit, with the compassion of God, did we go out there with an urgency within us and tell somebody that Christ can deliver you? When I lay down every day, I think about, what did I do for you today, God? Was I productive for you? Did I tell somebody? Did I tell somebody the gospel truth? Did I tell them that the power of the cross can save them, that they don't have to perish, but that in Christ there is hope? There is hope. You know, it takes a lot to be up here on the stage. For those who have been up here, it takes a lot, right? You get nervous. Um, you know, there was a survey. I don't even want to tell you the numbers because I don't remember. But I remember it saying that people would rather die. There's more people that would rather die, literally die, and go, to, go wherever they think they're going than to come on a pulpit and share a sermon. You know, I'm not going to tell you where I found it. It just came to my mind right now. Google it if you need to. But it's scary. And the kind of people that we are, we got issues. Tell your neighbor, say, you got issues. No, say it again. Come on, Debbie. Tell your husband, you got issues. My God. I got issues. Stephon, you got issues. And because of those issues and because of the background that we come from, sometimes we struggle with evangelism because we have a fear of rejection. I, rem I was literally a baby. The day that I was born, I was rejected. I was put into an orphanage. So from the orphanage till I was five, I lived in an orphanage, then I was adopted, and then I was raised up in a Jewish family. And so here I am, you know, being raised up in this great family, getting saved, now I'm Holy Ghost filled. And my husband's like, you're crazy, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I got issues. I got rejection issues, you talk to me so bad. <laughs> You know, and you laugh. I'm not laughing. I don't know why you're laughing. But I have rejection issues. You know, I, not anymore. I'm working on it. You know, I got a good man. He, he motivates me. But the reason why sometimes we struggle with, with preaching the gospel is because we have these issues of rejection. Because we're afraid of what that person might tell us. 
because we're afraid of how their face might look at us and, you know, think that we're crazy people or you're too radical or what's wrong with you or you're not telling the truth or they might just come with, you know, such boldness and authority in what they believe in that we're afraid to come at, it, at them. And so people, you know, when we evangelize, sometimes we don't evangelize as aggressive the way that we should because we're afraid because we have those issues and we make it a personal thing. And then, and then we allow it to, you know, sway us from the call of God. Some of us, we don't even um, go out and evangelize, and this is a bad one, oh, but I have to say it, because we're ungrateful. We're ungrateful. Has anybody ever done something for you that just blew your mind away, and you just had to go up to them and give them a hug, and oh my God, thank you, and, and then when that opportunity came for you to bless somebody or do something for them, you did it for them too because you remember what that person did for you? You ever had those situations? I have. I had a... Um, She's actually here tonight, but I had a woman take me, and she took me shopping and, you know, blessed her and her family, blessed my kids with toys. Because being on a minister's salary, honey, we live by faith, literally by faith. We walk and we believe God for the provision of God. And so I was praying, and my daughter was telling me, Mom, I want a Barbie doll. I want a Barbie doll. I said, you better pray because Mommy ain't got nothing. Mommy doesn't have any money. You better pray. Mommy has faith, and that's how it's going to get paid for. And so she was like, okay, and we don't get depressed. We don't get like, oh, poor us. No. I teach my daughter, you better trust God because God's our provider. God's the deliverer. God's the, the, the one who meets all our needs according to his riches and glory. And so when I teach my daughter, my husband teaches our kids, you know, we live by faith. And I, I remember when she was praying, she was like, Jesus, I pray for my mom and dad. I pray for, you know, all these things. And, Lord, I pray for my Barbie. You know what kind of Barbie I want, God? The one I saw on TV with the horse and all that stuff, God? I pray for that. And so I had her praying for like two months right before Christmas. And, you know, uh, she was praying, and then within that season of the holidays, um, this woman took me out, and she was like, what is your daughter like? Does she like Barbies? Does she like this? And I was like, yeah, she actually does like Barbies. And so I remember we picked out her Barbie, we wrapped it up, and, you know, we told her where it came from, and she was like, oh, wow, awesome. So she opens up the present, she's like, oh, my God, it's just what I wanted. It's the Barbie I've been praying for. Thank you, thank you. And so when I saw that gratitude, when I saw her face, I felt like, oh, my God, thank you, Jesus. You provided for it because I didn't know how it was going to happen. And so the opportunity came again where I got blessed. My husband and I, we got blessed. And so then we were like, okay, we, we saw somebody that needed something. So we're like, you know what? God has done too much for us. God has provided so much for us. God has taken, a, you know, taken us from glory to glory so many times, too many times. That, we don't, that, you know, God forbid that we forget to be a blessing. And so we had the opportunity to bless, you know, a family in that season as well. Because we, we didn't want to forget what God did for us. And so sometimes, you know, we don't go evangelizing at times because we forget what God did for us. We become ungrateful. We begin to complain about, God, I don't have enough of this. And, oh, the American culture says I need this and I, I have to have that. And I don't have it, God. So where is it? And so because of ungratefulness... We forget to, you know, or not even forget, but we stop preaching the gospel, you know. And when you're grateful, you go and do something about it. When you're grateful, you begin to tell everybody, guess what I got? Guess what happened? Guess what I did? You know, guess how God blessed me? When you're grateful, you want to tell everybody. When your paycheck comes, you're grateful. When your, um, what is that, the income tax comes back, the return, you're grateful, right? You're like, hey, get my paper on, right? You're grateful, you want to let everybody know, guess what? Look what I got. And it's the same thing with the gospel. That when Christ saves us, we become grateful. 
We remember what God did for us. And because of that gratefulness, we got to share the gospel. We got to share the word. But some of us, we've become ungrateful. Another reason why we don't evangelize is because we don't understand the authority that God has given us to evangelize in. And what I mean by that is that the Bible says that when Jesus, he says here really quick, go to, back to Luke. He says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And that's a heavy scripture right there. Because back, see, remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law. So he comes from the lineage of Jews, from the, line of, from the tribe of Judah. And so he comes all from, you know, years and thousands, you know, hundreds and thousands, of years, or not hundreds and thousands, but years ago. And so back in the Old Testament days, you were anointed um, by God, but you were specifically chosen by God to be their priest, a prophet, or a priest, prophet, or there's one more. Greg, priest, prophet, and one more. Okay, but ba- uh, I have it on the tip of my tongue, but really quick. What happened was, because he had been anointed, that means that when you're anointed, priest, prophet, or king, there it is. When you were anointed and separated by God, the people would anoint you, okay? But they would take a certain anointing oil. It wasn't just any kind of oil. It was a consecrated oil. It was a special kind of oil that was made only for an elite group. So that means that when they were anointed, they had not only the anointing and the separation, but they also carried the authority. And so here Jesus is saying, I have been anointed to preach the good news. And with that anointing oil, it represents the Holy Spirit. It represents a sanctification. It represents a significance that not everybody has. And so when Jesus walked in this anointing, he was the man. Yeah. Well, you were the woman. Hopefully men don't walk like this. <laughs> but when you're the woman or the man, I'm the man. I'm security. Come on, talk to me. I'll, I'll give you a good parking space. Right? Sister Beth and Helica. Beth, I need you to do me a favor in the office. Go tell James I need a flyer and tell him I need it now. You have the authority. Right? No, I'm kidding. But when there's people that carry an anointing, when people have a certain authority, you can't come against it. Because you're sanctified by it. Because you hold an authority that has been divinely given by God. And so the reason why sometimes we don't evangelize is because we don't understand the anointing that we're walking in. But when you walk in that anointing, there is no hell on earth that can stop you to preach the gospel. There is no demon on earth that can tell you you need to stop. Because we hold an authority, an anointing that has been given by God. That when I walk into the room and I'm ready to cast a demon out, oh, you're going to come out. You know why? Because I have the anointing. Because there's a spirit of God that lives in me and I have been called to cast demons out. I have been called to lay hands on the sick. I have been anointed to preach the good news. And when God says that you have the authority and I've anointed you, 
it's going to happen. Right? And sometimes we don't understand or comprehend the anointing that God has given us. And so that's why we don't walk in the power of him. Or that's why we don't walk in the power of evangelism. Or that's why we're afraid to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. And God has said, I have anointed you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And the same way that the spirit of the Lord has anointed Jesus, it's the same authority that walks and lives in us. It's been given from him to us to fulfill the promise of God. Why, why must we evangelize? Why must we tell people about Jesus? Simple. Because it's the Great Commission. Because it's the call of God that God has given us. He says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He goes, go and make disciples of all, nation, you know, of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Right? So he's telling us because it's the call of God upon our lives. It's what we've been called to do. Once we know the truth, it's the truth that sets us free. And just as there's souls out there dying in their misery and their depression and their witchcraft and their lust and their oppression and whatever it is, we have the answer. We have the truth in our hands. We have the truth in this Bible. We have the truth in our heart. And we have the authority to tell them Jesus can set you free because Jesus said so. That's it. It's the Great Commission. Another reason why we have to evangelize is because how many of us have loved ones in this place? I have a 98-year-old grandmother, still doesn't know Jesus, and I'm still praying for her salvation. She gave me the talk the other day, I've had a good life, Chell. You know, I think I'm going to be leaving pretty soon. You know, I hope to see my daughter because my, my mother passed away several years ago, and she outlived her. And she's telling me, I hope to see this person, and I hope to see that person. I said, you will. You're going to see them. You're going to, you know, you're going to see Louise, which was my mother's name. You're going to see her, you know. But in order to see her, she accepted Jesus in her heart. She's in heaven. She's with Jesus right now. And, you know, it was kind of a weird situation because, you know, the religious background. But I had to tell her. I was like, look, there are two places. There's a dark place or there's a place where... There's glory, there's beauty, there's everlasting life. And, you know, I began to tell her that, you know, if you want to go there, these are the steps. You still have time. You still have time to acknowledge God. And, you know, she didn't answer me quite yet, but I'm still believing for her salvation. Because I don't want to see her in hell. I don't want to go to sleep. And she passes away, and I don't want to weep in my bed and wonder, where is she tonight? And there are people every day, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, our enemies, our best friends. And we have to ask ourselves, where are they going today? If they die tonight, right now, if you go home and you get a phone call that so-and-so passed away, can we say that we preached the gospel to them? And do you know if they cried out to God? Can we know, do we know that we ministered to our family members and we were urgent enough and we were aggressive enough and we were adamant enough and we were, you know, pers you know pressed on every side to you tell them about Jesus. Can we lay down and tell them, 
or tell ourselves, I made it so clear to them. I made it so clear to them. I made it so clear to them that Jesus was the way, God. Can we have a confidence to know that they cried out to Jesus because we made it clear to them? Another reason why we must evangelize is because when you're grateful, you want to give back. When somebody does something for you, you want to give it right back. When my husband does something good for me, I want to tell everybody. When my husband does something good for me, I say, I'm going to take care of you. Right? He takes me to Macy's. Give me the Macy's card. I'm going to get you something because you're taking care of me. Right? When somebody takes care of you, you want to take care of them. When God does something special for you, you want to give something back to that person or to somebody else because you're grateful. Another reason why we evangelize is because we've been anointed. We have been anointed to preach the gospel. There, has, there is an, a spirit of God that lives within us. There is a gospel truth that lives in us. And if we don't preach the gospel, it's a sign of disobedience. And sons of disobedience, imagine where they go. If you walk down that street and the Holy Spirit is telling you, minister to them, minister to them, talk to them, tell them about my love, tell them about my forgiveness, tell them about my deliverance, tell them about me, tell them, tell them, tell them. And when the Spirit of God is urging us and telling us and telling us and telling us, and when we don't tell them, What's going to happen? We're going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable for every soul that we pass by and then tell them about Jesus. We're going to be accountable that when the Spirit of God tells us to tell somebody about him and we don't tell them, we're going to have to answer to God for that. And I want to make sure that, you know, as a radical ministry, as the ministry that we are, how many of us know that we have a pastor that has a heart for evangelism? We have a leadership that loves evangelism. We have a legacy that thrived on evangelism. We have a ministry that built the ministry on evangelism, on reaching out, reaching out to the world, reaching out to the sinner, reaching out to the ones that nobody had. When we have people coming into our church and we don't know, any, we don't know anything about them or they're new people, it's because somebody's evangelizing to them and telling them, come into the church house. And just as Christ has given just as Christ has given us the authority, he's given all of us the authority to evangelize. He's given us a calling. He's given us, you know, the anointing to, per to preserve the gospel. That as God has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we have to go out there. We have to tell somebody about him. We have to tell the sinner. We have to tell our enemy. We have to tell the drug addict. We have to tell the prostitute. You have to pull the car over. You have to do the U-turn. you got to be a little late to work because God has placed somebody in your path to tell them about his goodness. And so tonight, as we talk about, you know, reaching the world for Jesus, when we talk about taking South Africa for Jesus, when we talk about the Asian invasion, it's not something that we like to talk about and make it sound fancy and not do anything about it. But when we talk about reaching the world, we're talking about evangelizing the world. We're talking about going to the places that nobody wants to go to, going to those countries where there's persecution, going to those Muslim countries where they just might hang you or kill you or stab you or whatever, to set you, you know, on fire or put you in prison. We're talking about going to countries where nobody wants to hear the gospel, 
But because there's a dying world and there are people that are hurting, that's what we want to do. We want to tell them that Jesus is the answer. We want to go there and tell them that when nobody else told them, we're going to tell them. Because we've been called and we've been anointed. We have the authority. When somebody, you know, wants to discipline my child, I tell them, you can put him on timeout, but don't hit him. Only I can do that. Because I have that authority. I have that place in their life. So I can bring discipline. My husband as well. It's the same way. You and I, look at your neighbor and say, you're anointed. You have an anointing that comes from above. You have a consecration over your life. You have a calling to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And when you lay down tonight, ask yourself, have I won a soul today? Did a soul go to hell because I failed to share the gospel? Ask yourself that. How many souls will I be held accountable for those that went to hell? How many souls can I joyfully, you know, uh, celebrate in the eyes of God and say, Lord, I love them to you? How many? And so I ask you tonight to, you know, think about those things. Because we come here and we love coming to church. I love coming to service. I love being a part of this church. But unless I'm winning souls, unless I'm going to the streets, unless I'm going to the grocery store, unless I'm going to the gym, unless I'm going, you know, down the street and taking a walk with my kids and I'm ministering, unless I'm doing that, I'm not doing what I've been called to do. I've been called to be the light. We've been called to be the salt of the earth, to bring flavor to this world. When it's dead in this world, we bring life. We're here to preserve a gospel that is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will always remain. Will the word of God be preached through your lips? Understand that God has given you an anointing that comes from above. And we're in a world now where the gospel has to be preached. It's not the options. It's not, well, I don't feel like it today. We don't have the option anymore. We don't have an option right now in this time, in this day and age. There is a generation that is being seduced. There is a generation that is being, you know, swayed and lured and, you know, lied to and, you know, falsely, you know, deceived. They are being deceived to believe that all roads lead to heaven. They are being lured to think, you know, philosophies that are so out there that God has nothing to do with it. We're in a generation where everything is tolerated. Sin is tolerated. The Bible says that what is evil will be good in the last days and what is good will be evil. And we're already entering into that. That the gospel is already becoming evil. That when we speak about, you know, homosexuality and how we don't agree with the sin, people call it a hate crime. That it's evil. But how much more? We as the body of Christ the people that have a living God living inside of us, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, how many of us have to go out there and speak the gospel truth? We got to be that light. There's no choice. There's no option. There's no saying, well, I don't feel like it today. No. You have. You have a responsibility 
have to. We better. We better preach the gospel. Or God forbid that that person finds himself in hell. And God forbid that we find ourselves in that dark place. How many of us want to be a light? I want to be a light to this world. I want to preserve this precious gospel. I want to be able to preserve it so that the next generation takes it. I want to preserve the gospel that my children know how to preserve it. And they pass it on to their children and to their children's children. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. And just as, the, just as Jesus Christ had a great commission to fulfill, not only did he fulfill the call, but he gave this ministry a vision. He gave this ministry a mission statement. He gave this ministry a purpose so that you and I, people like you and I, no good, nobodies, dope fiend, drug addicts, ex-gang members, ex-alcoholics, you know, ex-self-righteous people, ex-this and ex-that. He brought us into this ministry and he gave us a purpose. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? Go to other churches and you won't find the same anointing over them. And not because they're less or any, you know, whatever than us. But honestly, our ministry, I believe it's like the heartbeat of God. We're the heart and the hand of God because we're constantly reaching out. But we can't stop losing that. We can't stop reaching out. We can't stop winning souls. We can't stop telling people that Jesus is the way. We can't stop telling people the truth. We can't stop. We can't stop. And so tonight, you know, I didn't want to yell at you. I didn't want to, you know, get all crazy with you. Ah! You know, because sometimes it's just the simplicity of, of God that needs to be heard. Sometimes it's just a simple talk, like a mama talking to her children. Check this out, love. Go and evangelize. Check this out, son. Spiritual son, spiritual daughter. Mommy wants you to go evangelizing because there are hurting people that are dying, and you hold the answer. Amen? Mama and daddy. Mommy and daddy are saying, preach the gospel at whatever cost, at whatever price. Preach the gospel, whatever it takes. How many of us want to preach that gospel? How many of us want to make a difference? I want to make a difference in this world. I want to know that when I died, my life counted. When you look in the mirror, does your life count? When you die, when we die, because we're all going to die. It's a guaranteed thing. We're all going to die. Can you lay in that, dying, in that bed when you're dying, or wherever you're at? I want to be able to say, Jesus, I did my best. I try to be a good mom. I try to be a good wife. That was a toughie. I try to go out and reach as many people as I could. But when we, when we lay down on a nightly basis, ask yourself, did I do your work today? And when that day comes and when we die, did we do what God called us to do? Did we spread the gospel everywhere? One last thought. When Stefan's father was ill, for those who didn't know his father, his father, his father was powerful. If the heartbeat of evangelism beat it through anybody, it was through his father. And my husband has taken that same heartbeat of evangelism 
But if you knew his dad, I hear stories because I didn't know him at this time. I, I knew him, but not personal. But I hear stories that even in his deathbed, he was telling the nurses, Jesus loves you. He had flyers on his deathbed because he wanted to make sure one more soul, God. Just let me reach that one more soul before you take me. He was a man that lived on a mission. <laughs> to the day that he breathed his last breath. He lived the mission out. And that's powerful. And we have a rich legacy in this church. That we can't lose that. We can't. We gotta take with the with our grandpa, Papa Steve, elder Pastor Steve, that same heartbeat that beat through him has to beat through this church again. Continue to beat. Boom, 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 boom. When souls, when souls, more in heaven, more in heaven, less in hell, 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 more in heaven, more in heaven, more in heaven, more in heaven, less in hell, less in hell, less in hell, more in heaven. That's the heartbeat that beats through this church. More in heaven and less of hell. That's what we live for in this church. And I get to be a part of that one person. I get to be a part of inheriting that legacy. Let me do my part. Let's preserve the gospel. Let's reach out, reach out, reach out to the day that you breathe your last breath. Let's reach out. Yeah. Go ahead and stand up. And I want to make sure that some of us we come here and we come here on a weekly basis but we we've been afraid to commit our lives to Christ and there's reasons why you're afraid and you know what they're valid because God knows you God knows your intent God knows your heart but don't wait too long because the Bible is not promised to any of us we just might answer to God tonight our days are counted, the Bible says. Some of, our, some of us may pass away tonight and when we go to heaven. And so I, I make a plea for you to come to this altar and give your life to Christ and ask God first for forgiveness because we were out there doing no good we need to ask for the forgiveness of our sins because that's what Christ came for was to forgive us but, only, but not only that but to make things right with him and not only that but to live for him the way he created you to be and so if you're that person that has been fighting God in this area tonight's the night
for those that have been feeling God pulling you in, in deeper into him and pulling you deeper for the ministry and you sense that call of God and you're saying, Lord, what is it? Why do I feel this urgency? It's because God has put a calling over your life and God is calling you and you're beginning to sense the shepherd saying, I've called you. Come and answer the call that I've given you. And for those that you know that you've maybe lacked in evangelism or maybe you haven't been as bold as you used to be or maybe we haven't been as bold as we need to be or maybe you haven't won a soul in a year this is the time to recommit to the calling of evangelism tonight's the night where we make that vow we say Lord one thing that I said ministered to you tonight.